We have sung it more than once this morning, our Father. And we said earlier that we declared as if it were by mutual prayer, being of one mind as a church, praying, hallelujah, all we have is Christ. And now the substance of that is that there is nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash our souls clean and purify us forever. And so we praise you. We thank you, Father, for the book of John, the gospel of John, and I pray, Lord, this morning that you would teach us your truth, protect us from error, and help us to see the glory of Christ more clearly. I pray that you would help us to understand the gospel, even as it's compared with error in this world. May you be honored and praised as we gain an understanding of what Jesus is saying in this difficult and in some parts of history, a very troubling passage of Scripture. May you be glorified in our response to it, Father, we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. If you could stand with me and take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 6, and I want to read the text before we look at it this morning. John chapter 6, we'll begin with verse 48. John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. That's 57. That's 47. 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that came down from out of heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you can be seated. Now, as you're sitting there, having just heard this text of Scripture, and uh, if you're familiar with this text in the sense that you've read it before, you may be thinking, uh, well, I sure hope this is helpful because I've never understood this. If this is brand new to you, you might be thinking, wow, uh, that was really gross. I don't know what that was about, but that was really odd, and I'm not sure. In fact, that's what the people said um, in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? And they got up and left, never to return. If I were to ask you to give me a metaphor for saving faith, what word picture would you come up with? What would you say? What is belief like? Now, now some might say belief, I was just guessing this week, trying to think, what, how would I answer that question? And some might say it's like, it's like studying. Um, in order to be saved, one needs to take the claims of Christ and think deeply about what they mean it's kind of like digging into, I don't know, the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. We want to dive into some theology, study the theology of salvation, which theologians call soteriology. And so believing is like that. It's like studying, and the more you study, the more you believe. Or some might say, it's more like purchasing. It's like going to the store and buying something. When you realize that salvation is something that you desperately need and don't have, you go to the local spiritual retail shop, you negotiate how much money or how much penance, how many good works you may need to perform to get yourself in right standing with God. 
It's like buying something. And still others might say, no, it's, it's more like, and this is kind of Western American evangelicalism. It's more like falling in love. In fact, there's a, a, I think it's a Christian song. It's on Christian radio. And it says this. Um, it's more like speaking, I, I think he's speaking of salvation. We, we call these kinds of songs, God is my girlfriend, because you're not really sure who he's talking about. It's a God is my girlfriend song. Um, it says, it's more like falling in love than something to believe in. It's more like losing my heart than giving my allegiance. It feels like, it feels like, it feels like I'm falling in love. Doesn't that, doesn't that feel warm and fuzzy? And very American, very Western. Problem, of course, with that particular word picture is you, f- you can fall out of love just as easily as you fall in. Not much stability there. Um, there are a number of metaphors the Bible uses for true faith. But the one Jesus uses in John chapter 6 is this. That real saving faith is like, here's the metaphor, it's like eating. It's like eating. Or we might say that the theme of this passage is this. Eating is believing. Eating is believing. I like that title. I think I took it on as a moniker for my whole life when I was in college. Eating is, give me something to eat. If you have college kids over your house, you just put this on your wall. Put a scripture next to it. Over the past month or so, a number of people have come to me and they said, uh, you know, I'm really interested in, in hearing what you say about the statement, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And honestly, my response to that is, uh, I, I couldn't wait either till we got here so I could hear what I was going to say about this, because until a couple of weeks ago, I, I didn't know either. What does it mean? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. Well, there are probably a couple of reasons why people are interested in understanding this particular statement from Jesus. For one, it just comes across as, as shocking. Shocking. And hard to know how to respond to it. I was telling Brent this morning, I said, you know, there's, there's such a stark difference between the way uh, modern preachers present the gospel and the way Jesus did. I mean, Jesus just made it hard to understand. And we think, oh, everything's got to be made easy. Jesus wasn't encumbered by that. He used what, uh, uh, and we've talked about this before, in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, they used a device called a mashal. A mashal is kind of a riddle. It's a, it, it, in, in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it's called dark sayings or, or difficult things to understand. And you read some of the Proverbs and you think, I'm not even sure what they're talking about. And the woman at the well didn't know what he was talking about when he was using a metaphor of water for eternal life. And here he is using bread as a metaphor or a mashal, a dark saying, to connect something they're familiar with with something spiritual and not familiar with. And here it really gets dark. It really gets where you're listening to it and you're thinking, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. It sounds almost like Jesus is espousing some kind of cannibalism. And that's probably what these people were thinking. I don't know what he's talking about, but that's yuck, and I'm out of here. But that's clearly not what he's saying. I mean, even unbelievers who just deal with this particular text and every text would would look at this and say, uh, he's obviously using metaphor. He's obviously using a metaphor for something. The question is, what does the metaphor point to? What does it stand for? What does it mean? And that brings us to another reason why people are interested in this text, namely because Catholic and Orthodox traditions point to this text to substantiate their view of the Mass, or uh, the counterpart for us would be the Lord's Table, although the Lord's Table is not exactly like the Mass. In fact, it's really almost nothing like the Mass when you understand what the Mass is. Let me, let me describe to you what the Mass is. The Mass is a time when... Um, and, and you'll understand this better as we go, but where the priest of the church is sacrificing Jesus again. And literally, this is, this is how they would describe it. The priest has a prescribed prayer that he prays to bring down Christ into the wafer and into the blood so that when it goes into your mouth, it transubstantiates, that's their term, transubstantiation. 
it turns into the very flesh of Jesus. Not symbolic, but the real flesh of Jesus. And when you drink the wine, it becomes the real blood of Jesus. And you ask, how in the world could you come to, the, to a conclusion like that by you know, looking at the mass? I mean, it's a wafer and it's wine. Why would you say that? And they would say, well, we go to John chapter 6. You must eat the flesh. And they interpret it literally. And drink the blood. So it must in some manner transform into the body and blood of Jesus while you're eating it. Now, you don't taste it that way, and it doesn't feel that way. But that's what they understand this text to to mean. Um, The Lord's Supper is nothing like that. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to remember. It says on front of every... um, Protestant communion table probably, do this in remembrance of me, because that's what Jesus said. Do this to remember what I've done for you. It's a picture of the gospel, and it's more than just a picture. There's also a communion with one another. There is a a reminder of the covenant that we have in Christ because of his blood and his righteousness that God, by his grace, gives us in Christ so that we become one with him. So it's not just union with one another, it's union with him And there's something wonderful that happens there. But the experience of it largely is we we set it aside, we we perform the prescribed ritual, as it were, um, of just eating the bread and drinking the wine as something tangible to remind us Jesus had to die for you. Had to die. And his death was sufficient for you, for everything. And, one more thing, and his death is one time, once for all, once for all. The eating of the bread is just a reminder of that once for all sacrifice. So a a major, major difference. Um, And so we come to this text, and we hear Jesus say, unless a, a person eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he has no part in me, and we think, well... Gee, that doesn't line up with our understanding of the Lord's table. Um, So what does it mean? What does it mean? And why does it matter? Well, the answer to this question, what does it mean? To answer it, I want to take you through this text um, and point out some key elements that will lead us to what I believe is the correct interpretation of this text. And I think when we get done You'll say, okay, I got it, I got it. I understand the text. I understand what he's saying here. It's really not that complicated. That's really what I want you to say when you get done. Oh, okay, that's, that's really not hard. It's not terribly mystical. It's, it's easy to understand. Now, I'm giving too long of an introduction. Let's just dive in. So this is going to be more teaching than preaching this morning, but this is so, so, so important. Number one, if you're taking notes, and there's going to be several points, and they're not alliterated, but um, here we go. Number one, the point of Jesus' teaching concerns eternal life. Now, we're laying the foundation here. You will not understand this text. If you jump into Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you don't have any part of me, and then you walk away, you can come up with anything. And so where do we start? When we're doing a study of a particular passage of Scripture, we remember the axiom, context is king. That's right, context is king. That's the way it is with all literature. And that's the way it is with the Bible as well. So, the main point, Jesus' point, the point of his teaching here in chapter 6 concerns eternal life. Now, let me show that to you. Between verses 27 and 68, Jesus speaks of life or eternal life 12 times. Let me just give you a rundown on a sampling of that. Verse 27, he uses the term eternal life. In verse 33, Life to the world. He was referring to the same thing, eternal life. Verse 40, there it is again, eternal life. Verse 47, there it is again, eternal life. Verse 51, he goes back to his other statement, life. This time it's life of the world, but he's referring to eternal life. Verse 54, eternal life. Verse 55, the Holy Spirit gives life. And verse 68, he ends with eternal life. You see a pattern? And there's more. That's just a sampling of it. 
But those are the critical statements. So the point of Jesus' teaching is what, class? Eternal life. Let's say it again. The point of Jesus' teaching is eternal life. That's where he's taking us. The end, the goal, the target is understanding eternal life. How do you get that? What's involved in that? So it's clear that Jesus is explaining eternal life. The question now is, how does one obtain eternal life? How does one obtain the eternal life that he's offering? And the answer thus far is that one must receive it in a manner that's not like purchasing it, and it's not like just thinking about it, and it's not just like loving it. It is actually like eating it, eating it. So, point number two, the metaphor of Jesus' teaching is eating. you got to get that. The point that he's taking us to is eternal life. The metaphor he uses for getting us there is eating, eating. Okay, you with me on that? So, what's the metaphor? Eating, good. So much better than the first service, but let's move on. I love those people. (laughs) So remember, his teaching here falls right on the heels of a miracle that he did. Okay, this is going to help us understand context better. He did a miracle. Remember what the miracle was. He provided bread for 5,000 men, upwards 15,000, 20,000 people. He provided bread. These are the same people. We've gone over this many times. And um, he fed them bread. And a little bit of fish. Fish was kind of a garnish or a relish. But the whole thing was about the bread. So in his teaching about how to receive eternal life, he uses the illustration of eating bread. But in reality, he really didn't jump into this um, of his own accord thinking about the bread. It was the unbelieving, quote, disciples, end quote, who really pushed the idea of bread here. And we see that in verse 30. Look at verse 30. Uh, clearly they're not believing in him, and they, they come to him, and, and they know that he is saying that he is the giver of eternal life, and they ask him for a sign. We want you to do a sign. And the sign that we want you to do, we want you to give us a sign that's greater than Moses. And they're thinking, you just fed us with this bread. Do something better than that. I mean, Moses did something better What did Moses do? Look at verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And here's here's a place to start. Verse 31. Our fathers ate what? Manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So, They're the ones initiating this. Moses gave our fathers bread. What can you do that's better than that? I mean, feeding the 5,000, that's big. That's big. We'll grant you that. Moses was bigger, and and the Christ is going to be bigger than Moses, so you ought to be able to do something better than manna. You get it? Get what they're saying? So the whole bread of life discourse is a response to that. Still following me? And how does he answer? Show us something big, something bigger than Moses bringing bread out of heaven. And he says, I am the bread. I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Watch this. Um, Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Verse 41. I am the bread which comes out of heaven. Number uh, Verse 48. I am the bread of life, verse 51. I am the living bread. You want to see something greater than manna? You're looking at it. Me, I am Christ. I am sent from God. You will find life in me. Forget about the manna because they ate the manna and they what? Died. They're all dead, every one of them. So if you were looking for life from manna, How's that working? It doesn't work. You're going to get life. 
So Jesus is saying, look, just as physical bread offers physical life, so spiritual bread offers spiritual life. The next logical question then is, how does one get the spiritual life out of the spiritual bread? Okay, so where are we now? Show us bread that's greater than the bread of Moses. Jesus says, I am the bread. Okay, so if you're the bread that gives life, and we're talking about his primary point is eternal life, then how do we get eternal life out of you? Now, they're not asking it that question. If they would, they'd, if they did, they'd be in better shape. But it's the question that Jesus is answering. So how do they get spiritual life out of that bread? Verse 50. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. Not die is the flip side of the coin to live forever. So how do you get it? And the answer is, you have to eat it. You have to eat it. Again, metaphor, he's still in metaphor. It's still this mishal kind of language. Okay, you following me so far? That was a little better than first service. First service, all I got was crickets. You follow me? Yeah? Okay. So the way people get spiritual life out of spiritual bread is by what? Eating it. Now, that's a simple concept, but what in the world does that mean? I mean, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the person of Jesus. No wonder people left. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. Eat me, and you'll have eternal life. And so we go to the next question. The next question we need to answer is precisely that. Since Jesus is speaking in metaphor, here's the question. What does eating mean? If he is what we have to eat, then it must not be him that's the metaphor. It must be the eating of him. Now watch this, verse 35. He who comes to me will not hunger. Comes to me is synonymous with eating me. He who comes to me will not hunger. You come to me in such a way that your hunger is satisfied. That's eating, right? So 35, he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who, here's the new word, he who believes in me will never thirst. Now he's just tipped his hand. Now he's given us the interpretive clue. Coming to Jesus... To have your spiritual hunger satisfied is synonymous with believing in him. In other words, and this is the title of this message, eating is believing. If you don't understand that when Jesus talks about eating in this text, he's talking about believing, you'll never understand it. And I look at this, I look at how Jesus answers this question and this metaphorical structure that he builds, and I think... He was brilliant beyond all reason. He was a man who had, he was a human being who had none of the effect, none of the noetic effect of sin. In other words, sin did not affect the way he was able to think and process. He's brilliant. And he was God, and that helped. Verse 36. Now, in case you're thinking, okay, there's one verse that, that might lead us to believe that believing is the answer. How do I eat Jesus? And the answer, believe in him. Uh, let's look at some other scriptures here. Verse 36. Here's the problem. You do not believe. And verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, so beholding the Son here now, I'm suggesting, is the same as coming to the Son, same as eating the Son. Watch this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him has eternal life. How do I get eternal life? I must eat him. What is eating him? It's just a metaphor for believing. Why eating why eating? We'll come back to that. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And verse 50, this is the bread that came down out of heaven so that one may eat and not die. It's a direct power, a parallel. 
eating is believing. That's the interpretive key to the whole chapter. If you've got that, the rest is simple. Nothing terribly mystical here. So let's keep going. Jesus' metaphor for obtaining eternal life is eating, and eating means believing. Jesus is simply saying then what he has always said, namely that eternal life comes to those who believe in him. But this believing isn't like studying. It's not, that's, that's not a good metaphor. It's not like purchasing. That's a really bad metaphor. And it's not like falling in love. I mean, that's just a dumb metaphor. Um, <laughs> I finally get an amen on a goofy Christian song. Okay. It's not like studying or purchasing or falling in love. It's like eating. It's like taking him into your soul. Like you take bread into your mouth to nourish your body. You must take Jesus into your being so that as bread gives life and makes changes to cause you to grow, so when Jesus comes into your life by means of the Holy Spirit, you will change. You will become like him. You will understand for the first time in your life why he said, be holy for I am holy. When the Holy Spirit comes into a sinful man, the sinful man starts becoming holy. And if there isn't any of that going on in your life, then maybe you're still thinking about him or trying to buy him or fall in love with him. And that's not how you get salvation. Eating is believing. And so when we get to verse 51, we shouldn't lose our minds when we hear Jesus say, and the life of the world is my flesh. Now it is startling when you see it the first time. Because all the way from the beginning of this chapter, he's talking about bread. You've got to eat the bread. I am the bread. The bread will give you eternal life. And then he gets to the end of verse 51, and he says, um, I am the living bread. He's still talking about the bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats the bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, so now he's just, he's taken the metaphor and he's changed it. You see the brilliance of Jesus? I mean, it's a little bit difficult to follow. Now we're not talking about bread anymore. He's moved over to steak. He's moved over to meat, and not just meat, but meat and blood. It's my flesh, and it's not really steak, it's me. It's me. Um, so we already know that he's using metaphor to tell us how to obtain eternal life. Now he's simply, here's what he's doing, changing it from bread to flesh. You know what he's doing? He's sharpening the metaphor. The original metaphor of bread was just to get you thinking. And now he's moving to the substance of what it is spiritually that you must eat. And it's, it's like bread in that it nourishes and gives life. But a better, a better term to use here would be flesh. Because bread, real bread's not going to get you anywhere. But my real flesh will. My real flesh will. And so here's the question. Many questions, many answers, and you have to come to all of them or you'll miss this. How is Jesus able to give us eternal life through his flesh? The point of Jesus' teaching is eternal life. The metaphor of his teaching is eating, eating namely eating is believing, so eat the bread, but, it's, but, but not just bread. Don't think of it as bread anymore. We're on our way here to coming to the conclusion, so forget about the bread. Now think of it as eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And so if you're following the points, point number three, the focus of our believing is Jesus's, here we go, the focus of the believing, or the target or the, of the believing, or the object of the believing is Jesus's death in your place. It's a death that hadn't happened yet when he's talking to these guys. Not even the disciples understand what he's saying. 
But they're going to look back after the resurrection, they're going to look at this and go, that was magnificent. He told us. He told us beforehand exactly what was going to happen. How is God going to give us eternal life? He told us. Look at verse 51 through 55. I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, I most solemnly say to you, that's what truly, truly means. I most solemnly say to you that unless you eat the flesh, now remember, what does eating mean? Believing. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood, you have no life in yourselves. You're dead. You're going to be. You're going to end up where your fathers were after they ate the manna. Verse fifty-four: He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. It's not like manna. And my blood is true drink. Um. Someone will say, well, that passage there that you just read sounds like what the Catholic Church teaches about Mass, that the bread and the wine must turn into the real body of Jesus. I mean, he does say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But again, you have to remember the context. Context here hasn't changed. His metaphor has changed. This is one sermon. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching this, and it's all one thing, and it's a short sermon. I went to a different school, I think, but... So you have to remember the context has changed. Jesus is still speaking about how to obtain eternal life. He's still using the metaphor of eating. He's still, tr- uh, it's still true that eating is believing. The only difference now is that we're not talking about bread, which represented Jesus, but flesh and blood, which represents Jesus. The question is now, what does he have in mind when he uses the metaphor of flesh and blood? And I would say, now it's really not a metaphor at all. It's really not a metaphor at all. The eating part is, but not the substance of the flesh and blood. I want to suggest to you that when Jesus speaks of his flesh and blood here, he is referring, listen, to his own human and mortal nature. Now, I think three weeks ago, we got into that discussion about Jesus' humanity and his deity, right? And there's some wonderful theology there, and we had a good time looking at all of that. But here it becomes really, really important because everything is on the line. Everything is on the line. He's speaking of Jesus' own human and mortal nature. That is, he's speaking of him not in terms of his deity, but in terms of his humanity. Flesh and blood is a common Hebrew idiom for human being. A person who is flesh and blood, you would never say that about an angel. You would never say that about the first or third persons of the Trinity. They are not flesh and blood. You wouldn't say that about demons. But it was a common term used to refer to men. And not just men, but men who have an intrinsic reality connected with them, and that is they're mortal. In other words, they tend to die. And all of us will if the Lord doesn't return first. Let me just show you this in the text. Uh, just three New Testament texts. Ephesians 6, 12, you can quote this. For we struggle not against what? Flesh and blood. What does that mean? Look, our struggle isn't against human beings. Our struggle, Paul says, is um, against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. He's talking about spiritual warfare here um, in the demonic host, okay? But my point here is that he's saying we don't struggle against, and there's... There's his phrase, the Hebrew phrase, flesh and blood, meaning humans. He could have said humans, but it's, it's more engaging to use idiom, flesh and blood. Galatians 6, 1 
uh, I'm sorry, Galatians 1, uh, 15 and 16 here, Paul's talking about God calling him, and he says this, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What's he saying? The Lord appeared to me on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he gave me a commission, told me that I was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. When that happened, I didn't go running off to Peter, James, and John. I didn't talk to James, who was the head of the church. I didn't go to Peter. I didn't go to anybody except the Lord. And, and here's what he's saying. I didn't go to mortal man. I didn't need their approval. But the point is, the idiom, flesh and blood, refers to not angels, not demons, not God the Father or the Spirit, it refers to mortal people, mortal men. Uh, Matthew 16, 17, and Jesus said to him, and you remember this, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, some think you're Elijah, um, some think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, and uh, some people think you're the promised prophet. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ of God. You remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You know what that means? You didn't learn that from a man. You didn't learn that from a human being. My father taught you that. You didn't learn it from flesh and blood. What does he mean? He's using the idiom. You didn't learn that from a man who dies. Mortal man. So flesh and blood points to Jesus' humanity, but it also points to um, humanity's inherent mortality, that is, that human beings die. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about resurrection, and he's specifically speaking about the human body, how it tends to die. And he says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable Inherit the imperishable. This fleshy humanity. Something's got to change about that if you're going to live with God in heaven. And he, he gives the whole doctrine of the resurrection, which is beautiful. We're coming up on Easter. You should study the doctrine of the resurrection. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place to start. But what's he saying? Human beings are flesh and blood. They are mortal men. Now, to take this one step further, we need to understand that in order for Jesus, okay, Jesus is flesh and blood, but in order for him as God to rescue sinners, he had to do something. He had to become flesh and blood, and he had to do what all flesh and blood does. He had to die. He had to die. And so I just want you to see this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14. And here the author of Hebrews explains it. Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in, there's that term again, flesh and blood, humanity. Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, Likewise, also partook of the same, the same what? Flesh and blood. Why? So that through death he might render powerless him who had the power over death, namely the devil. So why does he say flesh and blood? He's talking about his humanity. And flesh and blood indicating, I'm going to die. And there's something about that death you must believe. You see how it all connects? Now when we go back, after reading all of that, hold your finger there in, in Hebrews because we'll be back. But let's finish out reading our text for the morning, verse 55 through 57. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. In other words, my flesh and blood are what give life. But he who eats my flesh, what is eating? 
in this text? Eating means believing. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. I wish we had time. Union with Christ comes from believing, and not just Christ, but with the Father. Look at verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Jesus gives life. Where did he get life? From the Father. The Father gave him life, and he died to give us life. It goes from the Father to the Son to sinners. It's beautiful. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. And just in case someone might have missed his point in connecting all of that, and you might say, look, he left bread way behind. He's talking about flesh and blood. This is totally different. Oh, really? Next verse. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Well, I thought you were talking about flesh and blood. Exactly. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread will live forever. Tell me again, what, is, what do you mean eat the bread? What does eat mean? What does eat mean? Believe. Eating is believing. And so you see, beloved, that's, that's how we understand this text. Eating is believing, and believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus, that is, receiving the truth that Jesus died in your place is the means to eternal life. And the Apostle Paul says it like this, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not like purchasing. It's not like thinking. It's not like falling in love. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. And there's more in this text I wish we could spend time gleaning and glorying in. But let me just conclude by saying that the reason John chapter 6 is in the Bible is to show us that God sent Jesus Christ into the world as a man so that as a man he might satisfy God's holy and righteous demands for our salvation by dying on our behalf. So that believing you might have life in his name. Let me just go back to the Catholic Church's Mass again. And the reason I, I'm picking on them and the Orthodox Church is pretty much the same thing. Is because I know that so many people in Calvary Bible Church who have come recently, in recent years, have been coming out of the Roman Catholic Church. And you understand the gospel. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And you have followed Christ out of that. But you still have questions. And I suspect one of them has to do with how we do the Lord's Supper and, and the Mass. And here's what the Mass is based on. Are you ready? The Mass is based on the Old Testament system of sacrifices for sin. And yes, they gave a sacrifice, a sacrifice for the whole nation once a year on the Day of Atonement, but they also offered a sacrifice every day. In fact, it was every morning and every evening. They offered the blood of a lamb. And the Catholic Church has based their entire system on that system. Therefore, they serve the Mass how often? Every single day of the year. Why? Because Christ has to be sacrificed every single day. Or so they think. And so they call Jesus down... It's interesting, part of the call is hocus pocus, which most of us would say is hocus pocus. Isn't that amazing? They call Jesus down to become the bread and to become the wine. Why? 
because there has to be a real sacrifice. The, the wafer is called the host. It is the host that embodies Jesus, or Jesus embodies it, so that by eating, you sacrifice Christ all over again. You say, well, that sounds right. It might, but it's wrong. How do you know? Book of Hebrews. You know why it's called Hebrews? Because that's who the book was written to. Jewish people who were part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. This was written before 70 AD, so the sacrifices were still going on, best we can tell. Turn to chapter 10. Oh, we could spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews, but let me just read you a little bit. Starting with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which were offered continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Now, just stop. We're going to read through verse 10, but just stop. Let me just tell you what he just said. He said this. The Old Testament sacrifices that they did year by year, and they did them day, day by day as well. They can never take away your sin. That's not what they were for. Yes, there was a covering, temporary covering, but they were a shadow of the thing to come, not the substance of it. The substance would be Christ. And so they could not make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise... Would they not, verse 2, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sin? You see what he's saying? And look, if, if that made you clean, then they should have done it once and been done with it. But it never did. They had to keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating the sacrifice. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible. Can there be anything more definitive? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, this is Jesus becoming man, he says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not taken any pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written, to do your will, O God. Stop. The book of John, how many times has Jesus, says, has Jesus said, I'm not here on my own initiative. What you hear me say, I've heard from the Father. What you see me do, I've, I've done it because that's the Father's will. I only do the Father's will. You see me doing something on the Sabbath, it looks like work. I'm working, yes, but it's because my Father is working. I only do his will. Is what the Messiah would do. And that's what Hebrews 10 is telling us about. After saying the above, verse 8, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, that is the sacrificial system, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once for all. That's why Jesus came. And I got another minute. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see that in your Bible? In verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. One time. And I still have 30 seconds. 
Verse 13, waiting for that time onward until his enemies might be made a footstool for his feet for, watch this, by one offering he is perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies too. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? You know why we don't, you know why we don't do the Mass? Because it's wrong. It's unbiblical. And they would, they would even agree with that. It's just that they don't take the Bible as the final authority. Um, they take the magisterium and the tradition as the higher authority, but that's a different talk altogether. Beloved, here's what Jesus is saying. You want to see something greater than what Moses did by giving people manna to give them life? God has already showed you. It's me. You want to talk about bread? Let's talk about bread. I am the bread. You want life? Forget about manna. Eat me. What do you mean, eat you? I'm saying eat, I mean believe. And it's not bread, it's my flesh, because I'm about to give it for you. And it's going to be a bloody mess. They're going to murder me. They're going to kill me. And it will be the once for all final sacrifice for all time so that you can be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, beloved. And so, eating is believing. Which is to say, the only way to obtain eternal life is to receive into the depths of your soul Jesus' personal, bodily, atoning sacrifice on your behalf. And you do that by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I have no idea what you're doing in the hearts of your people. I know a little bit of what you're doing in my heart, causing me to worship and glory. Sometimes these things leave me breathless. And oh, Father, I pray that you would so move in the hearts of your people here that they would worship you and pursue holiness in their lives, not to earn salvation, but because they're so thankful. And as an act of faith, and trust and love toward you, we pursue becoming like Christ, living in obedience, living holy lives. But Lord, even as importantly as that is, I'm confident there are people who are listening to my voice right now and they don't know you. They thought salvation was something that you just study or it's something you could purchase or it's something you just fall into. No, Father, I pray that you'd help them today to see the banquet set before them, the life-giving banquet, the bread of life. Give them the grace, Father, to receive it by faith, to put all of their hope, all of their trust, all of their desire for the forgiveness of sins on Jesus who paid the once-for-all sacrifice for all time. And save them, Lord, we pray, for your great glory. In Jesus' name.